0: think he's a bit of a clown, a bit of an idiot, but they, they think they can use him.
1: Today's guest is Thomas Weber, who I've had the good fortune of getting to know over the past few years. Mr. Weber is Professor of History and International Affairs and Director of the Center for Global Security and Governance at the University of Aberdeen. He also serves as senior associate at the Center for European, Russian and Eurasian Studies at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. Holding a master's degree and PhD from Oxford University, he has previously held positions at the University of Glasgow, the University of Chicago, the University of Pennsylvania and the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton and Harvard University. Mr. Weber is co-author of a report on the future of transatlantic relations and serves as an analyst of contemporary international affairs for a number of organizations and news outlets. Thomas, it is good to have you back. And I know that you're always up to something uh, interesting. Uh, You're in demand all over. Uh, You're teaching here in Toronto. You're in Stanford. You're back in Aberdeen. Um, What's your latest piece? And I, I, I saw that you had written something. What is it?
0: Uh, I recently brought out um, a chapter on Donald Trump and um, Adolf Hitler in um, a new book on uh, fascism in America. and uh, But I, I, I was trying to stay clear of these kind of superficial comparisons, and I ultimately argue that the comparison doesn't quite work, but I tried to explain why, and uh, so... And rather than saying, well, therefore, they're, 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 there's nothing to worry about, um, there is a lot to worry about. So the, these kind of comparisons can can also, even if they, even if people are more different than they are similar, they can actually also tease out where the real dangers lie with what is different. So I hope everyone will read the piece. Okay, and where is that again? It's in a book called uh, Fascism in America, um, published by Who's... Cambridge University
1: Press. Okay, Cambridge University Press? That's right. Great. Okay, and they can they can access that online or the chapter that I think they can download the chapter and or buy the whole book. Um, That's right. Um, okay. What I want to talk about today, um, and I'm so glad that you agreed to do this with me, is very specific. I don't want to do a Hitler or Germany or National Socialist comparison to to the Trump uh, administration or Trump. What I want to focus in on is American aristocracies, um, the American aristocratic reaction to Trump. Um, I'm bombarded now with information regarding um Trump and and the uh, the the shall we say the economic aristocracy, the political aristocracy, the journalist aristocracy. There seems to be a real, you know, anti-Trump movement in that. But even in that movement, you've cautioned me about something um regarding the term aristocracy. Please correct me and tell me what's going on before we start. So so historically aristocracy really relates to the
0: noble class of Europe. So the when when we talk about the aristocracy and national socialism, we really talk about how did these kind of families who for hundreds of years mm. ran Europe who um mm. Who, who, who were providing the kings and queens of Europe, how did they respond to Hitler? How did they respond to this kind of challenge? Well, today, when we talk about aristocracy, we're really talking about kind of old establishment, which may
1: include the aristocracy, but would also include um, anyone else. Got it. Okay, you know, one of my favorite movies that I saw um, in when I was like 20 years old, uh, which is a long time ago, was The Damned, the Visconti movie. And um, that was it. Was it was shocking? That was all about the aristocracy's interaction with the National Socialists, and they were, as you said, noble families living in these palaces and dressing in the finest jewelry, and they had the best cars, and you know they were decadent. It was really a real interesting film. I, I, are you familiar with the Dam by Visconti?
0: Should admit, I've never watched it.
1: You've never but... seen it. Oh, you should. There's well, yes. a tip for you and the listeners. To so watch the damn by Lucchino Visconti about uh, about the uh, the German aristocracy in World War II. So my, my, my rise of National Socials. Okay, my my sense of this is and is this um, the American aristocracy, whether it's the Adobo old families, the Koch brothers, um, the Wall Street Journal, um, just really super wealthy people living in La Jolla, or Westchester. Uh, There's an American aristocracy, and they kind of were amused by the rise of Trump to a large degree. Um, They didn't really think that it was dangerous or he was um, something to be worried about. Uh, They were almost amused by it to some degree. I think they were looking for um, tax deductions and uh, deregulation ultimately i think they got the shaft because they they, they, they if you lived in La Jolla or westchester as mentioned you're paying $45,000 in property tax and then they did away with the SALT deduction you you really took a big giant hit uh, from somebody that uh, you voted in but that's another story so here we are you know 8 years later basically or 7 years later and um he's going to he's obviously going to win again or it's clear that he's going to be the republican nominee Um, So let's explore how the aristocracy um, can tolerate, take, understand uh, Trump and how they understood the rise of the National Socialists. Let's let's go into that. Where did did the aristocracy view the National Socialist rise starting in like 1923 or 24 or 25 or whenever they actually really became a force? What was their take?
0: I think in a way, the take was exactly the way um, it was, what you've just described in terms of the um, business uh, elite aristocracy of West Ch- uh, Westchester. Sure. They kind of were laughing about him. They were not quite taking him seriously. But they also thought that maybe he had something to offer for them. They could use him. And that, in a way, is true both for the old aristocracy, so for the old noble families, but also for the kind of new Um, aristocracy or the kind of new business elite. They never took Hitler seriously, but they also kind of knew that in a world of mass politics, they kind of needed someone who could help them to get majority support. They they knew that someone like Hitler could appeal to voters that they would not with their kind of old, either old-style conservative or... Right wing liberal parties, they wouldn't quite be able to, to get you to, to get the same kind of majority support. So they thought that um, Hitler was really great news um, on that front. There was also this article penned uh, by a young conservative, Ulrich von Hassel, just after the First World War, called uh, Wir Jungen Konservativen, um, We Young Conservatives. And he's basically also just making a case, look, in an, we can't just go back to the old days. We can't just go back to a pre-democratic age. We need to make sure that we can survive in a democratic age. And therefore, they start to, to figure out who do they need to make compromises with? For a while, the things. Well, is there may, maybe some way of finding compromise or common ground with with the traditional left, with social democrats, and so on? And then they realize, well, look, there's this um, up-and-coming demagogue, there's um, Adolf Hitler, who uh, who can appeal to. People they can never get through, and they think he's great and they think he's a bit of a clown. He's a little bit, he's a bit, a bit of an idiot, but they they think they can use him in a way, just as you've said. The elite of Westchester thought that they could use Trump. Wow.
1: Wow. Okay. So they. Obviously, the, the 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 Weimar Republic, uh, from what I understand, was chaotic. Um, there were there was constant political violence. There were hard positions um, taken by the Bolsheviks. There was an anarchist movement. Um, there were other uh, deeply divided. It was a deeply divided society, and um, kind of like felt from hyperinflation that 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 occurred that it basically destroyed the middle class completely that that Germany was surrounded by enemies that that's to that, that's my understanding and, and that the National Socialists promised to vanish vanquish those enemies internal ones communists Jews um and external ones obviously the rest of Europe which had oppressed Germany with the Treaty of Versailles and you know, taken 5,000 railroad cars and uh you know occupy the Ruhr Valley so how much did this grievance sense that the Germans had and that the aristocracy understood to be true affect the rise of the national socialists and compare that to the grievance that the magma group um, feels right now? That's a good question. Initially,
0: the traditional aristocracy, as well as the new aristocracy of Germany, they saw all these grievances. They felt all these grievances, but they did not necessarily think that Hitler was the most obvious person to back them. In Hmm. fact, they remained um, distanced to him for quite some time um, during the Weimar years. In terms of the real aristocracy, so the old noble families, this was in a way born out of the fact that they thought that he he was a nobody. He did not come from... Um, a good family. He was, in a in a way, some of them said behind closed doors, he's too Bolshevik. What they meant is his class background is not the right one. And as far as kind of the, the new business elite uh, was concerned, they also saw that Hitler was really running for quite a number of years on a kind of anti-capitalist uh, ticket. I mean, his anti-capitalism, to be sure, was really directed against finance capitalism, Jewish finance capitalism, but it was ultimately still seen as an anti-capitalist movement. So they didn't really think that Hitler was the right person to address that kind of grievance. But when their own political parties started to collapse in the second half of the 1920s, and they started to see that the electorate was moving towards Hitler they thought that they could use him so in that sense it was at least at that point um, instrumental so they 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 saw Hitler was 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 on the rise and they thought well let's use this guy and it was also at that point then that that Hitler cleverly started to reposition himself so he was trying to play down his anti-capitalist rhetoric in uh, in the hope that um, the businessman would support him, and uh, he would also, while before that he had railed against monarchy and so on, he was also downplaying that mm. in the hope that the old aristocracy would support him.
1: Interesting. Um, so he was able to switch positions. You know, when you look at some of the the the, the divergence between Trump and the aristocracy uh, in this country, it it is shocking. he, he doesn't stands to their tune you know their tune is very much now we have to rein in entitlements um we have to cut back on social security we have to fix medicare um we, we can't go on like this and you know actually mathematically they're probably correct we can't go on like this yeah the the deficits are are, are at some point going to become a, a, a third world issue make us a third world country if not sooner rather than later but um and you know, he's he's like, no, we're not we're not doing that. We're not cutting entitlements because he knows that his you know his, his mag uh, maga base uh, is, is in fact you know reliant on on those entitlements. You know, they not a wealthy group that has five million you know dollars in their four hundred one k. So he's been fighting the aristocracy on those issues and free trade. He's he's imposed all these tariffs. That is exactly not what. The, the Koch brothers and all the other all the other free American free traders uh, of the aristocracy, the Cato Institute want. So w- there is a divergence there. Is that similar to some of the divergence you're talking about that the that that the national socialists had with the the German arist- political and business aristocracy?
0: I suppose so. but the but I think it what Hitler did was something quite clever in. I mean, as I mentioned before, there was this huge divergence before in gold and also the 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 old aristocracy. The New York aristocracy really thought that Hitler was really but something else. But then Hitler, very cleverly um sold himself in or pitched himself towards the business elite in really aligning them uh, himself ostensibly with their goals and in that sense maybe hitler really is ta- was tactically acting differently from trump because i mean trump was has always been very open in his kind of rhetoric what the problem really is and also saying things that doesn't quite align with um, with, um, I guess, the what the, the Wall Street Journal or the old GOP establishment would believe. So what happened was that Hitler gave this now famous speech in January of 1932 to the Industrial Club of Düsseldorf, where he gave this very clever long speech where he downplayed, I mean, he didn't even mention Jews. He downplayed wow. that, other things that might have uh, might alienate the business elite, and he was basically wow. uh, focusing on the convergence between those kind of two worldviews. And crucially, and and this will also get me back to Trump in a minute. He he ultimately gave. A speech about whether this was whether the people were living in a world crisis or whether this was a crisis of their own making. So he was basically saying, Look, we're in big trouble. Germany is in big trouble. The world is in big trouble. But why are we in big trouble? Are we in big trouble because things worldwide have gone out of control and we're just at the receiving end? Or are we in trouble because we, we the Germans did something bad in uh, in the past. And there he focuses really on the mistakes of the Germans, which he said only made it possible that Germany could lose the war, that that the Versailles Treaty could be uh, imposed against Germany, that Germany could become vulnerable against the world economic crisis. So he said the world economic crisis, Versailles, these are all just symptoms. They're not the origin of the crisis. The origins of the crisis are mistakes at home, um, um, a country without values, and so on. And there he was trying to uh, align themselves also with how the business elite uh, saw the problems of Germany. And here, by the way, we also see a parallel, of course, to how Trump has been uh, pitching himself both to I guess his 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 mega crowd, but also to others, and basically saying, "Well, look, the problem is America is no longer great because the American elite messed it up, because we Americans didn't know
1: uh, didn't know how, um, anymore how to, how to do things." Right. Well, so I would have given anything to have been in that Dusseldorf. Uh, economic meeting of, of the elite businessmen in Dusseldorf and watch that Hitler speech could you imagine being there and like walking out of there and not, not knowing he was insane? I mean like I've known Donald Trump is insane forever and I I, I mean forever I mean when he walked down the, the elevator came down the elevator I thought he was insane so I mean it's like if you don't know somebody's insane, I, something's wrong with you. I mean, it's so obvious, you know, that that the person isn't isn't well. Um, it would have been really interesting to been in, to have been in in in, the, in that in that room. Let me read you something, because as I said, I'm bombarded by this every every second. I'm getting signals from all sorts of places about the aristocracy or this intelligentsia walking away from Trump now, and in actually in fucking panic. Actually, is what they're in. So um, Charles Fried uh, died. There's an obituary today in the New York Times. He's a legal scholar. Um, he broke with the conservatives. Uh, evidently, um, you know, he's a teacher at Harvard. He's one of the foremost figures of American uh, judicial, uh, in the American judicial world. He had a quote. The people who claim they're conservatives today are demanding loyalty to this completely lawless, ignorant, foul-mouthed president, Mr. Freed told the Times in 2019. He disclosed in the Boston Globe in 2016 he planned to vote for Hillary Clinton. Okay, so somebody who's uh, literally the bastion, it's a half-page obituary in the New York Times, a bastion of the, of the American conservative legal establishment, he has all these citations, comes out and says that he's an ignorant, foul-mouthed, uh, lawless buffoon, basically. Pretty interesting that that somebody would come out and make a statement like that, don't you think? Sure,
0: absolutely. But I think in a way there is a difference with between how Trump is was being viewed is being viewed and how Hitler was being viewed. So I think with Trump there has been a bit kind of the American establishment, the American conservative establishment, uh, been from the day that he was elected. Um, people generally believe, at least privately, that he was a bit of an idiot. So, I mean, just as we know, Rupert, someone like Rupert Murdoch, right. kind of even when he supported Trump, he right. still called him whatever, what a fucking idiot. But he, they ultimately thought it doesn't matter that he is a bit of a fucking idiot <laughs> because ultimately he has an administration that is delivering. He is, or when it comes to nominations, he is listening, supposedly, according to this narrative, to the Federalist Society or to the Heritage right. Foundation. So in that sense, it doesn't matter that that Trump is an, um, is, right. is, 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 is an idiot. With Hitler, things were a little bit different. They, people thought that either, well, maybe he is extreme or he is a bit of an idiot, but they also initially thought that they, well, I suppose in that sense, there is some similarity that they could control him um, and that is why they initially also supported uh, Hitler. So I guess in that sense we're still in, um, in, in, in in territory where we have clear parallels. but of course the what happened then in by 1934 is that Hitler was the person who who, who had the last laugh, because he then ruthlessly turned against anyone, From this old elite who had tried to challenge him, and anyone and and eat, and he had some of them eliminated, others put in concentration camps, or others he just sent to prison for a few weeks to basically just that was enough to send the message what they had to do for the next several years, namely to keep their mouths quiet. that is, of course, um, but it is here where the parallels stop. Because, of course, as we have seen, to Trump's frustrations, the checks and balances in in, in America worked pretty really well during the first four years. To, to, to Trump's um annoyance, he couldn't really do what he wanted to do. So, in that sense, four right. years later, he's out of power. And the people who 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 thought that Trump would deliver, they are still in that position, and now they think they can they 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 can finish Trump off once he's out of office. They think this in 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 twenty twenty. They also think it in in midterms, and of course, it's during the midterms that the Wall Street Journal really turns against uh, uh, Trump. They think they can finish off uh, Trump, mm-hmm. but of course. That's not happening, and I think in a way now we see something else that we know from the past, maybe not quite exactly what you've just asked me or we've just talked about, namely the phenomenon that um, it's a mistake to think that you can make some kind of compromises with extremists. So the same has happened in with I guess um, mainstream conservatives in Germany and other countries in interwar Europe, but the same is happening now again, uh, also in Europe. Um, that parties think that mainstream conservative parties think that um, they can survive in a kind of time where there is sort of a perception of crisis and generally a rise of the radical right. They can survive if they take over a little bit their position, support them right. a little bit, but then what happens every single time, whether in interwar Europe or whether it's now it's that people if they then have the choice between going for the original or going for the copycat who is doing a little bit of that, they go for the original so wow. as a result, so we're seeing we, we we we're seeing this increasingly in Western Europe, we just see how um. Mainstream conservative parties in the Netherlands totally shot themselves in the foot when they um, made their government collapse because they thought that they could uh, call a new election and uh, and and take over some, some anti-immigrant positions and so on. And they thought that they would then get a new and stronger mandate. Of course, what happened is the exact opposite, that the radical right is on the rise. and right. And the same has happened time and time again. Both in the past and in the present, and I think the same is is happening to the Wall Street Journal, to Murdoch, as well as to the GOP um, establishment. They they turned against Trump too late. By that time, people had already moved away from them and rather have gone gone, gone from for, uh, for, for the original.
1: Wow. Okay, that is really smart. Because <laughs> I'm in a state of shock. Molly Ball, who writes for the Wall Street Journal uh, in the editorial section. Obviously, every word, every sentence is parsed by uh, the the editorial board, and obviously, they all report to Rupert Murdoch. So we know that anything written in the Wall Street Journal has the blessing of the political establishment of the Wall Street Journal. Stuff just doesn't get submitted and printed without really focusing on it. She wrote the following. The Republican Party we knew isn't coming back, or she's quoting someone. The Republican Party we knew isn't coming back. The anti-Trump Republican Sarah Lowell wrote on X, voters, listen to this, don't want it back. They don't want limited government, free markets, and American leadership in the world. They want isolationism, authoritarian, an authoritarian crackpot president, and big government that enforces their worldview. The Wall Street Journal, just, just basically using a quote from, from Molly Ball, uh, it's accused Trump of being an isolationist, an authoritarian crackpot president, and big government that enforces their worldview. In other words, that's fascism. If they, you, know, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but if you use the government to enforce your worldview, and uh, you, and that, it's not free markets and it's not democracy. Okay? That is so powerful that this is now in print. That's a de- declaration of war, if I, if I ever heard a declaration of war. Okay, another quote in the, from, from the article. In addition to finding Trump odious in both character and policy terms, Duhaney sees him as a political loser for the GOP which has underperformed in the last three national elections with Trump as their party leader. His quote is, maybe after Donald Trump loses the general election, the next primary will be a battle for the soul of the party. So what I'm getting here is that the political establishment, the GOPers, are in a state of panic that he will lose again, that he lost... He, he's never won the popular vote. They point that out. He lost. He lost in two thousand and twenty. They lost so many seats in in the governorships, the the Senate, and the House that there was no red wave. They have a majority of like two. If two people die, you know, in the Republican House, it, it, it's it, it, the the Democrats can call for a new election of, of a Speaker. So they they not only they actually see him as like an irrelevant loser at this point, who's going to like give us four more years of Democratic rule. Is that is that how is that is that how you know you see it? Um, sure, possibly. Um,
0: you see, I'm 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 hesitant to 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 answer your question because the I'm not sure whether I quite agree with the premise. I you don't know, have to
1: agree with the premise, Thomas. Really. Exactly. Just tell, that, us, that, that, tell us what that, you think. I yeah, don't that's don't all, that's you what that's what I'm with, telling you. I mean, that's yeah, my, yeah, don't yeah, don't that's don't what i Don't podcast exactly. to agree with anything. Um, I
0: think the premise of your question is is that ultimately um, the people, or at least the supporter of Trump, the GOP supporters, have really moved away from these old ideas, and they really genuinely now support all these kinds of ideas. I think for now they do, but the question is why do they support these kinds of ideas, and I think. They use they they do so because they generally feel a sense of um, injustice, of unfairness, um which I think is a sense that has um, has taken over America or half of America.. Right. And Trump has brilliantly exploited that sense of feeling okay. injustice. And right. that I think other other people can also um, exploit and take over. I would everyone really kind of um, urge to read the um, work of this um, social psychologist, uh, Kees van der Boos a Dutch guy, who um, has written about um, the triggers of radicalization and the role unfairness perceptions play in that, because I think. Particularly in what's been happening in America in recent years, and the kind of the crisis of white middle class America outside of the big cities, there you have kind of a perfect breeding ground for someone who is exploiting those right. feelings of
1: unfairness and and right. and and injustice. We've done and, like twenty podcasts on this. I couldn't exactly. agree more. And Trump
0: I, 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 yeah. Trump is continuing to to do this brilliantly. So right. if someone either can do this better than Trump, or if Trump implodes because of something else. If Trump, well, either if he just dies, or if he implodes because ultimately it becomes too clear that his Me Too stories will really turn um, independent women against him. If something happens that he implodes, I think there's a chance that someone else who has the same talents to to exploit these kinds of feelings of yeah. unfairness, but actually has um, supports more kind of traditional mainstream GOP positions, would have a, a good chance of winning the nomination and winning the election, and we would be back. We'll into see.
1: We'll we'll, yes. we'll see. You know, everybody who's tried to out Trump Trump or you know, m- mimic him, mini Trumps have, have failed miserably. Obviously, but that's not the... what I said. That's I... not what I said. I
0: did not say that they should out Trump Trump.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: saying if there is an opening to, um, if Trump implodes, and they can, ex- and then someone else can exploit these feelings of
1: Got unfairness. Which is know, not
0: the same thing as our Trump and Trump
1: do you know who that would be? Do you have anybody in mind in the American political establishment that that you could think of that could do what you just said you know you use that anger and uh, yet yet uh you know become so more acceptable to 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 these people, but channel that anger Is there anybody that you can see um, not not immediately okay. Um not
0: immediately, but the question but but of course we have to but if he were to implode, the entire um game would change. So he, That's then right some thing. exactly. So someone and I said, this is also why Nikki Haley is being urged to stay in the race. Right. And while she is she wouldn't out Trump Trump in precisely using that kind of perception, she would still in a clever way try to make use of them. And probably have a good chance of winning the election.
1: Right. Okay. You know what I. You know what I sense too. I sense like a, the a Frankenstein remorse. Um, I'm going to read you a paragraph now from the Wall Street Journal, the final paragraph in, in this article. Um, and if this isn't like basically a, a form of remorse and and uh, the uh, on the part of the um, Murdoch aristocracy and what they've created, I don't know what is. Let me just read this to you. An hour down the road from the Haley Su- Sununu Love Fest in Seabrook, this is New Hampshire, as supporters awaited Trump's appearance at a picturesque century-old opera house in Rochester, New Hampshire, the party's transformation was on vivid display. The crowd was visibly blue-collar, decked out in work boots and tattoos, and possessed of a rowdy energy not commonly seen at other candidates' events. Wow. This is the Republican Wall Street Journal. Basically terrified that these that the Trump crowd is visibly blue collar, their friends, decked out in boots and tattoos, they don't like their dress, possessed of a rowdy energy not commonly seen in other candidates events. If that doesn't scare the shit out of, you know, out of anybody, I don't know what would. It gets worse. They, they have merchandise trucks outside. They talk about, let's go, Brandon. We all know what that means. Uh, Anti-Biden name, they say, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, and Trump's lauding against the globalists. Is there, when did the, okay. So when did the German aristocracy have their Frankenstein moment? When did they wake up? Was it when Cologne was destroyed? When it, when the Sixth Army was surrounded? Um, when uh, gold was declared total war and there was no more coal or meat or fat or their calories were down to 200 or something a day, when did they wake up and realize, whoa, maybe we put something in motion here that's going to, you know, really backfire, bite us in the ass and give us a Frankenstein moment? Like that article in the Wall Street Journal basically reveals the fears of the aristocracy, that this rowdy crowd and tattoos and work boots is out of control. Tell me about that, Thomas.
0: Hmm. I think that happened to, in two or three stages because the the first the first wave or the first part of this old um, elite they already started uh, within months of Hitler being in power that they had totally miscalculated, mm-hmm. which in a way brings us to the night of the long knives because yes. the um, when people talk about the night of the long knives they try to, they tend to focus on on uh, on the SA. And, uh, and but they forget what what this is what 1934 is just as much about. It is about eliminating anyone from the old conservative establishment and the old aristocracy, then so the nobility who were kicking up a fuss. Some of them are literally killed. Um, some of them are put into prison for a few weeks. And crucially, the former German Crown Prince Wilhelm von Preußen. He just lose. He he just misses uh, his moment. This would have been the moment where he could have stood up, but he basically, even though one of his best friends had just been uh, been, been killed, he just supports uh, Hitler. So the then nothing much happens until about I guess 1938. So about a year yeah. before the war, and it is really then when quite a number of the people who had supported um, Hitler, including some of the industrialists who had attended this famous 1932 speech in Düsseldorf, they start to realize... They, what they have, what kind of monster they have created. This is really kind of epitomized by the response of Fritz Thyssen, the, the industrialist, who had initially been one of the main supporters of Hitler after 1932, but who already started to, to feel disquiet on how the Nazis were going after the Catholic Church, who then sends a letter to Hitler 1937, protesting about that as if Hitler would give a damn. Um, and then, but then Kristallnacht in 1938 is kind of the big Euroka moment for Thyssen, and he resigns from the Prussian State Council. In uh, When war breaks out, um, he writes a letter of protest to Göring and then just leaves the country. Um, but he is ultimately then, but too few people do do that. He's ultimately sidelined. He's, of course, in immigration, but he's being caught up after during the Second World War and then being incarcerated by the Germans and is put into concentration camp. What was more typical is the response of, uh, of, of the Krups, who basically stick with the Nazis until the end, in part because, I guess, they can uh, do business with them, but in part also because it's very difficult to turn against a leader in a um, during wartime in in a kind of existential fight. This is also why, in a way, if the Americanist kind of the old American establishment wants to uh, to move against Trump, now is the moment before Trump gets reelected. I mean, I don't want to again. I I don't think that Trump is Hitler. I don't think the fascism no, comparison quite not works. At all. We agree. Uh, um, but at the same time, once Trump is in power, Trump knows how to create a situation that will be being perceived as an existential threat. When again, it w- it will be far too late to move against uh, to uh, against Trump. So now is the moment because the as, as the history of, the, of of Germany shows that once you have. Handed over the keys of power to someone, and once that person has any chance of destroying um, the checks and balances, it's too late.
1: Yeah, so also this time around, he's surrounded by the the, the D team, the F team, you know, all the any any of the you know, Rex Tillerson's or even the Bill Barr's, you know, any of the old establishment that he surrounded himself with, you know, to some degree. Um, you know that we're gonna that in his cabinet. Uh, Millie it goes on. I mean, list goes on. We have the, the 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 internet is full with the 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 forty people who have denounced him after working with him, who are all you know establishment figures. This time around, you're going to see the you know the Peter Navarro fringe lunatics uh, in the cabinet. You're not going to have a cabinet that has anything to do with skills or talent or or, or backgrounds, or, you know, it's going to be run by Stephen Miller, and it's going to be truly, truly a, a, a cabinet of Star Wars players, Star War bar players. And that is for sure. Anybody who doesn't think that hasn't read the 2025 project. Um, and in that regard, I, I think there is a comparison to the National Socialists, uh, which at the end were just drooling lunatics who stuck with him and everybody who was even remotely sane he were, was out of there. Is that correct? Um, possibly, but the
0: but of course, we, also have, I mean, we have got to be careful here not to underestimate the talents of some of the people around Hitler and also some of the people who continue to enable Hitler. They were precisely not... I mean, the, in a way, with, the way we sometimes write about Nazi Germany, we kind of also have an urge to make them... Um, all makes them sound as if as if they were losers and idiots. I mean, they were they were they were terrible. they were evil. they were all of that. But a lot of them had a lot of kind of real talents, also talents on how to 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 run the show, how to implement policy. And part of the success of the first four years of Trump, part of the reason, also why a lot of people still support Trump, is this kind of belief, look, you have got to differentiate between Trump the person and Trump the administration. And this is precisely based on the idea, even if Barr and whoever else have turned against him, to say, well, look, Trump is a bit of an idiot. He's a bit of a lunatic. But ultimately, he let um, competent people run the show. And look, unemployment was low. The economy was working. Um, all of that now, in your alter- alternative scenario, none of these people are running government departments anymore, right, but all the kind of extremists right. who, who have no um who have no um administ- uh, who have no experience in run in 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 running organizations. And there, the big question would be, would they even be able to pull things off? Or would things quickly nosedive because it would just become so clear that um, they're incompetent. They're incompetent in running the show, which in a way is an open-ended question, but I think there are good reasons to believe that a lot of them would be incompetent to run the show. And then the question, of course, becomes how would Trump respond to that? Mm. Will he then will this become just a self-defeating self-defe- um cycle? Or will Trump's survival instinct set in and will he at that point try to bring in a lot of people against whom he is railing at the moment because at that moment they will look like the best um the
1: best um shot at survival wow that's a really really interesting again really smart insight i didn't hadn't thought about that but yes that's true i mean you know if you promise to build a wall and you have 25 other promises like that and nothing ever gets done um you've either got to uh, abandon the premise and and or or bring in people who might be able to get something done never thought of it that way okay well thomas thank you so much there's a whole lot to to digest as always and think about in this I, i urge people to read um your books and the, your, new, your new chapter in the monograph, um, this is really, you know, he, we have to look to history to, to give us some guideposts for similarities and differences. Um, but I do think that there are similarities and differences in, in the way the aristocracy is looking to disrupt her. I mean, Trump is a disruptor. Um, uh, the National Socialists were a disrupting party. Uh, so we're de- we're dealing with disruption and and the re- reaction of the aristocracy, and I don't think there's anybody better that could have filled us in than you. So I thank you for this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for having me,
1: listeners. Believe it or not, we're on Instagram. Please follow us at OOTB with Jay Russo on Instagram.